Hey, hi everyone. Uh, welcome to your show, eCoffee with Experts. Today we have Clemens Ricklick, who's the CEO at Bourbon Creative in Barcelona. Welcome, Clemens, to our show. Thank you, Ranmai. Very happy to be here. Great. Clemens, before we move any forward and pick your brains, why don't you let us know about your journey thus far and what do you guys do at Bourbon Creative in Barcelona and how you guys are different from all the agencies out there? So yeah, it's a good topic to, to start it off. Maybe mm-hmm. just to give background first, on, on Bourbon Creative and Embracino, the company, and then we can maybe go down into my journey as well. On Bourbon Creative, we're basically like an SEO and content marketing agency where we focus on mainly tech companies. So we work with both startups to including Fortune 500 companies. And we basically just try to help the innovators reach and connect with their audience. That's basically what we do. We have our bread and butter. And Embracino is like the number one English speaking media company focusing on technology, innovation, and startups in Barcelona. The easiest way to explain what we do there is with like cheerleaders of the ecosystem, trying to help them, promote them, and put them on the map. Brilliant, uh, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, please go ahead. Please go ahead. Sure. Then for, for my personal background, because that's my journey, to be quite frank, it was a bit of a wild ride, you can say. So I had some uh, yeah, different experiences where I had to adjust what I was discovering about myself. It's actually funny because I did start on a business degree. So I don't know how it's never come to, but in Austria, like, like the typical thing that you do when you finish school and you're not quite a hundred percent sure where you want to go next, you study economics and business because that's where you get always jobs. Yeah. And I do remember that in this job, like when I was studying that, we had marketing courses and I was like, I'm never going to work in marketing. I was a bit mm-hmm. cynical. I was like marketing, okay, it's just changing fonts and colors. And I didn't really fully understand the impact it has that I do right now by having a big experience doing it. So it was quite funny that little that I know back then that this is what I would be end up doing. Mm-hmm. Basically, when I finished that, I started to work in the financial industry with different banks. Because I was a bit of a finance background in my degree. But the traditional banks, I figured out for myself, is a bit too slow too rigid, so it didn't really work with the kind of the way or the pace that I work on to have something where you can make things happen, be a bit more innovative. And then eventually, using that learning, I moved to Spain, started work for a consulting company that actually focused again on tech companies and startups. There was a great experience and we did a lot like around go-to-market strategy, helping them enter different markets. And for me, that was like one of the biggest learning. I've probably done more sales than I wanted at that stage, but I learned that I don't like doing outbound sales. But I do in, enjoy like inbound sales, inbound marketing, and I do enjoy work with second companies and, and startups. So it made just sense for me to then pivot and focus on inbound marketing. And I ended up in the company where I'm at right now, which is doing exactly that, doing marketing for tech companies and startups. So it was a perfect fit for me. And I just had a bit of patience. I started first doing some basic freelance internship where I was doing some content creation, some publishing, some basic uh, things that you do in SEO as well uh, to eventually, you know, moving and, and being in a position right now as CEO and running their marketing agency, basically. Great. Yeah, lovely. I mean, quite a journey, I must say. <laughs> right. <laughs> Great. Definitely. Uh, so, Clemens, uh, you have been a driving force behind BC and Fintech, right? Uh, and and uh, which is a, obviously a leading community for Barcelona fintech ecosystem. So, in your view, how has the fintech landscape evolved over the years? And you know, what are the emerging trends that you foresee that could significantly drive uh, or impact the way fintech startups approach uh, their marketing strategies in the coming years as well? Excellent, excellent. All right, yeah. So that's definitely I'm very passionate about. So I think it's two questions you asked. Maybe before just really quick, so about just for people who may not know, it's, it's a local fintech community 
focused on Barcelona. Obviously, as the name gives away, and I was very fortunate that I was co-founding that with my friend Elliot. So again, just want to give a shout out to him and of course all the other volunteers who joined us in the journey. Because to be honest, building a community on yourself is really difficult to do. So I'm quite sure I wouldn't have been able to pull it off on myself. But yeah, coming back to the topic, so fintech. If we look at how the landscape evolved, I would say I like to put it into two different brackets. So I think the first phase, which I think we've come like almost at the end of it, I call like the gold rush, or the gold rush stage, like all the hype around fintech. I think that's where we've seen just competition grow finally in, in the financial industry. We've had, I, like I said, I worked in the banks before. It's like a very traditional industry that moves very slow. On purpose, it's an industry that focuses more on being risk averse, not taking risk on technology innovation and just being the trust and reliable partner that you need. Uh, and we've seen just in the last decade or more, actually, that there was more and more competition coming on. We had all the regulations, open banking regulations, ESG2, three open almost like the floodgates for actually newcomers finally being able to come in and compete. So that's where we have all these different stops coming in. Then we had a second trend with embedded finance, where basically any company even if a non-finance company, you can start offer financial services pretty easily by just collaborating with different embedded finance providers. Again, more competition for the traditional players. And then finally, we have the big tech companies. You know, we have Samsung, Samsung Pay, Google Pay. We have Apple launching a lot of products. Both under the playing field. There's a lot of competition happening. And then apart from that, we also have the blockchain and crypto trends, right? So we have more solutions coming from that stage, which offer alternative solutions to, to what we already have on the market. So, yeah, I think the obvious stage that had to happen was the second phase, which we are in right now, I think, which I call like the growing up and like the maturity phase, where we just realize that maybe we have too many companies. Do we really need having more than 100 neobanks and having a neobank for every niche industry out there? Or does it make more sense to have some sort of consolidation? And obviously, with the whole economic situation we have right now, we have seen that funding has dried up in the companies. This was happening right now. The business models that don't work, they are starting to disappear. They are either you know, shutting up uh, their shop or they're being sold. So we see consolidation there. And I think in the end, it's, it's very painful because also from my perspective, a lot of people in the industry, so it's painful when you see some of them don't work out. But I think in the long term, you also see it almost like a natural selection, right? So the companies who really offer value and come hit on the right business model are the ones who are going to be paving the way going forward. So that's like, for me, the biggest development from the landscape. And then I think in when we look at the trend and especially how they affect the fintechs and, and especially the marketing side of it, I would say there are two big things that are happening. The first one for me is AI and the second one is personalization. And I think the beautiful thing is like how now with where AI is, how they start to play together. Because I think AI is something that has been present for a longer time, but of course with like ChatGDP, it's now on everybody's tongue, everybody is able to use it, but it's just like a great way to enhance marketing activities. It makes it so much more efficient, right? If you know how to use it. Yeah. And even in the fintech space, it's been used before, you know, it's not like something that's totally new. But I think where it comes in is that now it's becoming more accessible to more people, right? So maybe if before there were only very, let's call like corporate expensive solution that were available to the big companies, for example, I know Adobe, has been rolling out amazing marketing products in the past that focused heavily on personalization, AI, to improve the user experience. But those were like solutions that are very expensive. We may talk about, I don't know, maybe billion in terms of licensing fees. So obviously, like a fintech service is not able to use those. 
and now with ChatGP, Bard, and all the different tools, these type of companies can now use that in marketing as well. So it levels the playing field a little bit, and especially allows personalization because I think, especially in fintech, personalization is so important because I'm a good example. Yes. Like if, if for example, to, to take something for my personal life, if I'm saving money to I don't know, buy I don't know, maybe a car and I have a certain amount of cash on my bank account, I don't want to be constantly sold like a loan if I have enough savings there. And at the same time, if yeah. I have, if I need a loan, I want to get offered a loan and not get get offered like investment opportunities for investment funds. If you don't get like the right targeted message to, to what I need, I feel like the bank or whatever your provider doesn't really care about you. So I think personalization is just getting more and more important. And with AI now, finally, yeah, more scalable to actually pull it off because how do you do personalization for hundreds or thousands of people or millions of people? I think without AI, it's, it's, it's almost virtually impossible to do that. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And in, since you touched upon AI, yeah, given the potential of it uh, to automate certain aspects of SEO or digital marketing for that matter, how do you envision the role of SEO professionals evolving in the context of startups and what skill sets they should develop to effectively leverage AI as an asset rather than a replacement, which for everyone was scared of in that, the, the very beginning of it? Yeah. yeah, no, totally. And I think to be frank, it was like a normal reaction. I think all, every time we have a new technology, it can seem like scary, especially when you see all the reports that like publish figures, which professions are going to get replaced or, or can, are more replaceable by AI or, or, or bots and stuff. And all the marketing was like somewhat pretty high on that list. So I think it made a lot of sense that a lot of us like had some thoughts on that. But I think we also see now that we had more time to actually use them and we know what they can and what they actually can't do. We have a better idea of, of, of what it actually means at least for right now. From my perspective, the, the learning I had is, at least for right now, it doesn't seem at all like it's going to replace marketing professionals, especially experts, because the way I would see it is more like, it's like a virtual assistant that now everybody has available to them if they want to use it. I think if you don't want to use it and you're not using it, you'll be falling behind the game. Yeah. Because other smart people are going to find crazy ways to be like, unlimitedly I'm more sure. productive than you are. So I think in the end, for professionals in the space, what I see is it's really about learning how to command and master those tools. Just play around, experiment right. with them, find ways, like I said, there's some things you'll find out that work really well, where AI is great, and other things where AI, you know, quite frankly, it's not good at all. So <laughs> by testing it and just gaining experience, you will figure it out. Uh, but in the end, you yeah. understand that, especially maybe if you work with like startups and you have smaller budgets, it's definitely a huge potential to make you more productive, to even cut out a lot of the boring stuff. So if some of the tasks that we do get replaced are the boring stuff, it's great, I think. Who of us wants to spend a lot of time on research if we can do it with a click of a button and then spend 30 minutes and up two hours in research? Or if we need to structure data, we can do it with AI and we don't even need to have coding skills or anything. We can just say, hey, order this table by this and that and filter out like the top 10 posts and give me all the best companies that are mentioned in the fintech space or whatever. It's just like a much more efficient way to do it. And I think that's where it's really interesting. Yeah. Um, and then and to come back maybe on the side of like the anxiety of it, I think it's always good to maybe look back and see what technologies have been out there. Because if we're all very honest, AI power tools have been around for a long time. And Grammarly has not really replaced editors, right? <laughs> ClearScope has yeah. also not really replaced uh, SEO specialists. In all those instances, it's like enhancement or, or like assistance that we have. So 
we learn how to use them and then they really add a value, but it's not like we want to fully rely on the technology. Even again, taking Grammarly, how many of us, when we use Grammarly, actually always click accept all. You still want to double check one by one so you don't end up like having something that sounds just very odd uh, or remove kind of like your own style. So I think that's some of the things I think are really important. And then maybe on the bigger scale, I think strategy, I think with strategy, I think it's very dangerous to just fully rely on AI tools. I know that people are very excited about technology and, and hopefully it's going to get more and more advanced in what it can do. But I think we always have to remember that these tools are not experts. Even if you tell it, you know, even if JetGP acts as an SEO expert, it doesn't mean that it is an SEO expert. So you can get some great insights for your strategy if you know what you have to ask it. Uh, but I think you always want to have a human who gives the command and also then reviews what comes out of it to then use it in the best way with their own experience to, to form the strategy because I think strategy is something that I wouldn't trust AI to, to work on, especially because it's almost, it's virtually like a black, right? You give it a command, you get something out of it, but you don't really know what sides to look at, what decisions it take to give you this output, right? So you have to really, you would have to have a huge leap of faith to, to only rely on the type of tool to give you the strategy. So I think, Again, coming back to things that work and things that work a bit worse or better with AI, I think strategy, I would be really careful to like fully relying on, on an AI application for that. It, it is uh, never really uh, is the final product. It gives you a start, but can never be really your final product, deliberate product as the same. Really? Yeah. Exactly. Uh, you people have been the number one content marketing agency in Spain, which is a remarkable achievement. Now, could you shed more light on your content strategies in terms of how you ensure to deliver exceptional content that you know resonates with both audiences and the search algorithms at the same time? Yeah, of course. First of all, it's obviously very rewarding to, to see this type of like awards or achievements. I think the best one, probably even more important than awards, is when you have customers coming back and working with you whenever they change jobs or have a new opportunity. But to come back to, to your question that you had, I think it's probably three things that help us stand out because obviously there's so many providers on the market and you have like agencies, you have freelancers and all different types of ways you can go. Right now, we also have ChatGDP, right? So that's another one that you could work with. But I think for us, that always stood out were like three things that, that we really think had the most value. One is like sustainable SEO. So I'll explain it in a bit what I mean by sustainable SEO. Then second is like focusing on results that actually matter. And then the last one for us is like having tried and tested teams, processes, and methods, right? Touching on each of those now a bit more in, in depth. Sustainable SEO is something that I like to promote more and more because I think I have a huge personal belief that Google is really smart and clever. They have so many resources. They're just constantly going to get better and better what they do to deliver on the mission that they have. And obviously the vision that they have is to organize the world's information and make it universally accessible and very useful, right? So I think especially the last part, the usefulness, is something that we should always keep in mind because there are ways at any given time how you can hack or maybe cheat Google a little bit, some techniques that you can use to have some short-term gains. But as we've seen, we have a lot of strategies in the past that focus on this type of things is Google eventually fills in the cracks. And then not only will you see your, your traffic drop significantly, like suddenly out of the blue one day, you may actually even get penalized. So I think well, that's what we try to preach is sustainable SEO in terms of really genuinely 
seeing and understanding the, the vision that Google had and taking that on board because I think we want to make sure that we deliver results not just in the short term, but also in the long term, right? So not that we take a strategy that, yeah, you get an next traffic this month, but then in two months' time, you'll have like half of the traffic you had at the start. You know, that's not the point of it. So we really try to focus on everything that we do that is really, really sustainable. So what I mean by that, for example, is things like we caring about the quality of your content, not just like flashing out a lot of content um, on the cheap. You know, really trying to make sure about everything to add like a unique element, add some value to the content that you produce. Because I think especially now with ChatGDP, there will be so much out there that quite frankly, only the ones who have the highest domain authority will get the benefit of producing at scale. All the other ones will probably have to sell the game and, and offer something that's really unique. So either something that has a better quality, has like a unique insight, unique perspective of an expert or a top leader, or, or maybe even adds like unique data that nobody has held. So those are like the things that I see for sustainable SEO. And I think that's really important for customers to have this approach. And then result-oriented for me is with agencies. There is a trap sometimes where it's easy to sell different things. I remember when I started and I had some experience with other agencies as well. I've seen that they focus on kind of like vanity metrics or metrics that like companies don't really pay you for them. Like And, and whoever works with you is not getting paid to optimize those metrics. So the biggest Example is, and there's still some companies doing that, is like focusing on the traffic numbers. I can bet Correct. like no CMO cares about traffic numbers. They really just care about like how much lead they can generate. And all the overall traffic could be one of a broad metric that can influence somewhat uh, lead generation, but it's not the most important one because if you're like really selective about your content, the keywords, the audience that you target, you may be better off by having a lower amount of traffic that generates more leads rather than having like huge amount of traffic that literally nobody cares because it's not going to be a, the audience that's actually going to buy your product. So for me, that's a really important aspect as well, making sure you can track the right metrics and you optimize for the right metrics in how you take positions. And even things that we do, for example, is like this helps and also like to improve how fast you get results, right? Because you can let the long game where you publish just like content around long-term keywords, and then hopefully some people start reading that and maybe they're going to convert. That works somewhat, but it takes time. What we try to do is have like a short-term strategy where you can get the metric that you care about early, which is the lead generation. So maybe you do some more bottom-of-the-funnel content and maybe do some comparison articles or articles focused on alternative solutions, but basically just trying to impact conversations and searches and queries where customers are ready to buy or they, they're looking at different solutions and want to pay to get something. And I think that makes a big difference as well. I think just like the mindset, I think is a, is a really huge thing. Sorry. Yeah, absolutely. Relevant traffic is so important versus just getting the numbers to actually drive home those conversions or in fact, to have the phone ringing as the very first step of conversion process. Uh, Clement, it was lovely speaking with you. I'm sure our audiences would have benefited a lot in terms of what they heard, the insights which you shared. And uh, thank you so much for taking our time and doing this with us. Really appreciate it, man. Thank you, Ranma. I really appreciate it. It was fun to speak with you. And yeah, anybody with any questions, just reach out to me. Happy to talk. Thank you. Thank you, Clements.